Welkom. De uitbraak van het coronavirus heeft de gezondheidszorg flink opgeschud en ook de wereld van de zorg in het algemeen. Het raakt de infrastructuur van ziekenhuizen, het diagnosticeren van patiënten, het uitvoeren van klinische studies en ook de o zo belangrijke zoektocht naar een coronamedicijn en een vaccin daarvoor. Volgens onderzoeksbureau IDC breekt er een nieuw tijdperk aan in de medische industrie. Maar tot op welke hoogte zal de gezondheidszorg onze kijk op de gezondheid permanent gaan veranderen? Straks als corona weer een beetje naar de achtergrond is verdwenen. En hoe slijpt het coronavirus de megatrend gezondheid? Daarover ga ik het hebben in deze podcast. Mijn naam is Tom Jess en ik praat erover met Lydia Houweter. Als senior investment manager bij themabelegger Pictet Asset Management houdt zij zich bezig met de strategieën, gezondheid en biotechnologie. Welkom Lydia. Goedendag. We gaan de podcast zo meteen in het Engels uh, uh, bespreken. Maar we beginnen eventjes in het Nederlands, want jij hebt een relatie tot Nederland. Vertel. Ja, mijn moeder is van Nederland. Daarom heb ik geleerd toen ik een klein kind was. Met heel veel stripboeken en praten met mijn nichtjes en neefjes. Maar het is gewoon een een woordschat van een klein kind nog. (laughs) Ik heb nog niet meer zoveel gebruikt. Daarom is het misschien beter... Ja, dankjewel. <laughs> maar het is misschien beter als we de conversatie toch in het Engels gaan doen. Oké, okay, let's do that. We now will change uh, to English, the English language. Uh, in the previous podcast, we spoke with your colleague, uh, Gert-Jan van der Geer. He is a senior investment manager of uh, Pictet Asset Management, thematic equities team. And he spoke about the coronavirus and how uh, that affects globalization. And one of his statements was that more transparent and uh, diversified supply chains are needed because the world relies too much on China and on the factories there. Uh, what is your opinion about that point? Well, it's it's actually true because we have all the um, active products for pharmaceuticals are mainly produced in China and India right now. And it's not even a lot of factories. It's a, a few factories in China and India. And so what we've seen during the, the crisis um, is for certain drugs that we have extreme shortages um, because these factories were actually in, in areas that were affected by the coronavirus, like Wuhan um, in China, or even in the Lombardy, actually, there was one factory that was affected. So it's it's true that we are not very diversified in the in the production of these pharmaceuticals and the supply chain of these pharmaceuticals. And I think it's something that we need to to think about going forward um, globally is where we uh, make these pharmaceuticals and how we make sure that we have enough of them if we have these shortages. Um, And it also highlights a bit something that's already been going on because um, in, in general, we have had always these lists of drugs shortages Um, independent of the crisis. So so there were always on the FDA website, so that's the, the Food and Drug Administration in the US, you had whole lists of, of drugs that we had shortages of. And it kind of showcases that in general, this, this um, supply chain wasn't very stable to begin with. And now the crisis has highlighted that even more. Okay. And do you think uh, something will change in the supply chain in, in the coming months? Well, I don't know in the coming months, but I would certainly hope in the coming years, because, I mean, we can't go through this once again. And I think especially um, some types of drugs that are needed for procedures to do with the crisis, um, for example, to 
to put people on ventilation, you, you have to put them into sedation. And these drugs were actually on shortage. So um, we didn't even have enough drugs to put everybody who needed a ventilator on a ventilator. And I think there as a society, we need to step up and, and see how we can diversify a bit the production. So bring back some of these production facilities um, into other geographies. Mm. Uh, we talked also uh, the last months, the last weeks about health. Uh, do you think the coronavirus changed the way we look to health in general? Well, it kind of highlights how fragile it is and how big of an impact it can have also on the economics for a society. Um, in the past decades, the talk has always been about how we spend too much on healthcare, how healthcare is so expensive, etc. How the pharmaceutical industry is just uh, ripping people off. But I think this crisis now highlights that if we want to have a, a stable healthcare system, it costs something. I mean. Uh, we also pay for for movies, for iPhones, for all these technical gadgets. Why not for healthcare? Um, and it's it's true that some of these pharmaceutical companies make a good profit, but they need to because that's incentivizing research in those areas. And we've had certain areas where that wasn't the case or isn't still the case. And unfortunately, infectious disease is one of them. So I always bring this example because I think it's so striking. So we have a pandemic, a slowly moving pandemic of antibiotic resistant um, bacteria across the world. So it's it's fairly severe in some emerging countries like in India, but it's also in the in the developed world, like in the US or, or even in, in UK or in Europe. Um, you have a lot of these um, resistant bugs um, in hospital settings and it's killing people. And that the problem is um, it's it's not lucrative to make new antibiotics. Um, we had a couple of biotech companies that were developing new antibiotics, and I think like three or four went bankrupt um, because it's just not a good business model. Because imagine you have a new drug, a new antibiotic that works against these strains. So what are doctors doing? They're saving it until the very, very last moment because they don't want new resistances to come up with it. So the whole business model is flawed because you're getting paid on volumes, but you're not getting the volumes because people don't use it. So here we could even see um, innovation in, in how we, we pay for these treatments. Um, I think the UK has once talked about um, a subscription business model for antibiotics. So you could say, okay, so you're subscribed when you need it, you can access it, but there's a, a revenue that the company still can make uh, where they have visibility on it. Um, that would be a model. And uh, frankly, they're also talking about this um, now for, for certain coronavirus drugs because people don't know how, how companies like Gilead, who now have a, a treatment, uh, are going to price it um, in a way that people have access to it. And also here, um, there has been talk about giving them a one-time payment to offset the costs that they had for production and, and basically still um, make them monetize this a little bit. So... I think it, it just highlights that um, we need to incentivize research into these areas and th thereby we need to spend on pharmaceuticals and on healthcare. And it's it's not a, an empty cost. It's really something that that benefits economic uh, welfare of, of, of society. Yeah. So now it's visible because now it's a problem due to the corona crisis. But do you think uh, the urgent of the case will stay after the corona crisis? 
Um, question, if, question is how long it will stay. It will stay for a little bit. Um, but I think in certain geographies, um, we're on the brink of healthcare reform and we need to be on the brink of healthcare reform. And I think uh, it has kind of made this point and given a good position for the pharmaceutical industry or healthcare industry in general to say, look, you need to invest in these areas because look at what it does on an economic level. Um, so the return on investment is really good if you invest in these areas. So I think for these developments going forward, um, it's definitely going to stay on people's minds. Um, is it going to prepare us for the next pandemic that could be the big one? It could be a much deadlier virus. It could be an influenza that spreads much more quickly. I hope so. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, uh, when you think about the most important things that will stay um, uh, when the corona crisis is over, uh, what are you seeing then? Um. I would hope that there is some more resilience in in the healthcare system. Um, in a way, we, we we're now seeing how uneven the the profits are being made in healthcare. For example, um, when you look at hospitals, um, a lot of them in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a health crisis, are making are losing money. They are having to ask government for for money because they cannot do the stuff that is profitable for them. So it's all these these elective surgeries where they have the big profit centers and then taking care of people in such a setting like the coronavirus where they have to go into intensive care, etc. They're losing money on this. So I, I'd hope that the way um, hospitals are reimbursed is also going to change a bit. And in the end, um, what should really be the goal in healthcare is to link the reimbursement to the outcome um, for a patient. So you're getting paid on how well the patient fares and not on a certain procedure, because that also sets a bit of incentives to do certain procedures too much mm -hmm. while you're not putting too much attention onto other things. Um, so it's, I think it's speeding up a lot of development that have been very slow, um, in terms of, uh, doing reimbursements based on the value that is created rather than on certain things. Um, and it could speed that up, that's for sure. Okay, you uh, mentioned the hospitals already. Uh, let's move on to a topic that also is related to the hospitals, and that's uh, uh, healthcare on distance, uh, e-health. Uh, so people are staying home and calling with doctors to talk about uh, different things. Do you think, uh, because it's already here, but do you think it will stay stay after the crisis? Yeah, so I think telehealth, um, the adoption rate that we've seen is going through the roof. And I, I, I do honestly think that people are seeing the benefits of it. Um, because also elderly you, people? You, sorry? Also elderly people, because for elderly people, it's sometimes it's a pro problem. Yeah, but I think they're now learning to FaceTime with their families or learning to use the technology. And um, I mean, you do still get an interaction with a physician, even through video. And and sometimes that interaction is, is pretty much what you need because you need to take away kind of the fear that something is wrong, etc. And then obviously for certain procedures, you need to go in or a nurse needs to come to you. But I think 
in general, telehealth is going to stay because it's just such an efficient way of, of doing things, especially for a working population, because you don't have to like go to the office, you take off work, you go to the office, you sit there in the waiting room for hours and hours sometimes um, to see your doctor. In, instead, you have this kind of immediate access to, to healthcare. And um, a lot of insurance companies are, are actually already offering this and it hasn't been used much. And now with the crisis, this is changing. I think people will, will see the benefit of it and, and continue using this service. So I think uh, it's probably something that is changing for sure. Okay. Uh, and what is the, um, um, when you look to the influence of uh uh, e-health to the costs in uh, uh, the, the health business. What do you see uh, then? Because um, people don't go to the hospital, so is it cheaper? Well, that's the big question. I think there, I've heard some doctors um, and some actually journals talk about should a doctor get the same reimbursement for a e-health cons uh, consultation and for a real consultation? And some are saying no, because you have less costs, you don't need all the space, etc., the infrastructure. Um, so that's going to be a point of contention in the end to see um, if we could actually save some healthcare costs by, by using this technology. Um, it remains to be seen. I think we'll, we'll get a lot of pushback from physicians. But uh, I think it's a, a route that probably is open. Okay, that's cool. Um, uh, let's move on to the... Uh, you mentioned already the, the drug organizations and also the developing studies about finding a drug for the coronavirus. Uh, in general, what is your opinion? Because a lot of companies are uh, doing research, are looking to a solution to end this crisis. How long does it take? Do you think? Is it uh, one year or a couple of months? Well, the answer is always complex. It's not like you switch, uh, flip a switch and it's gone, right? Um, there are so many different approaches to handling this crisis. And I think the solution is not going to be one thing. It's going to be many things. Um, so the, the biggest impact probably is going to be a vaccine because then you really can start uh, getting some immunity in the population. And here, um, people just think it, it's like, it takes one year and then you have the candidate and then you go from zero to 100 and everybody gets vaccinated. But it's I mean, not that easy. It's not that easy because it, it, it's easy to make a candidate. A lot of people, uh, tens of people do have a good vaccine candidate. It's a bit more difficult to show it's effective and it's safe. But to produce a billion doses that you probably need to vaccinate everybody, I mean, nobody has that production capacity right now. So people are ramping up production at risk, so not knowing that their vaccine is actually working. And um, there's companies like J&J or, or Sanofi who are entrenched in the vaccine business who say, okay, we will have a couple million doses in the beginning of Q1, but I mean, a couple million doses is not going to get you far, right? So... Um, maybe Q1 next year, we have a, an approved vaccine that's on the market, but for everybody to get vaccinated, it's probably going to get a year longer than that, um, at least. 
So, so that's the vaccine side. Um, then on the therapeutic side, it's, it's much quicker in terms of having something that works because what people are doing here is repurposing drugs that already exist for other conditions. Um, and the first positive data that we had is from Gilead. So they, they use a drug that they originally developed for Ebola and they, they tested it on COVID-19 and it seems to be effective in terms of reducing the length of the of the uh, disease so it reduces the length for 30 percent by 30 percent but it's not it trends right in the mortality so it reduces mortality a bit but it wasn't statistically significant so it's not a game changer in a in a way it helps it frees up capacity for hospitals but it's not a cure in that sense and i think that's kind of probably the pattern that we're going to see with many of these drugs because they're they're not designed for this virus, which is repurposed. Um, and so they, they may help, but they're not going to solve this crisis. So we're still going to need these other measures, these more social measures in terms of social distancing and and just uh, the hygiene that we have everywhere. Um, they're going to be with us for a while, even if we have a therapeutic. And what about the technology side? Because how important is technology in this case? Well, it's interesting. It's you, so you see a lot of hype in, in new technologies, especially around vaccines. And I think for the technologies, this virus is actually a good opportunity to show um, a proof of concept. So kind of to show that it works. Um, the big issue there is is really for a vaccine to be used broadly in the whole population, you need to be sure that it's really, really safe. Because we already have this endemic population that is scared of vaccines, that is critical of vaccines. And we don't want to give them more ammunition by having a, a new technology um, of a vaccine that has some side effects that we don't know yet. And then they say, oh, well, we were right all along. Vaccines are bad. Um, and it's so dangerous if, if that argument is, is gaining traction. Um, so I think t the broad vaccine that's going to be used is probably more the classical technology. But the new technology will move forward and be developed and maybe it'll be ready for the next pandemic. So I think um, we need to do the work. We need to do the trials. Um, but the one that is probably going to be used is, is the one that's already that we know the safety of. And one last question about this uh, subject, because a lot of companies are working in a lot of countries. In China, uh, companies are uh, doing research and trying things also in Europe and in America. Um, it looks to me, everybody, each company is on a, an island. But isn't it important to work together? Uh, because maybe then we have a sooner a solution for the crisis. Yeah, it's actually it's actually interesting because we do see a lot of collaboration that we have never seen before. So you have like companies like Sanofi doing a collaboration with GSK, so they're competitors, but they're collaborating on a vaccine now. So so these walls are breaking down, and okay, we, so it will we really see it, it is happening. Okay. It's not it will it is happening already, and also in the in the academic um, community. Um, the, the sharing of information and research is so fast right now. And also the, the, the publications um, are going much, much quicker. So what you see, um, a trend that has been going on already, but what you see happening now even more is that um, papers are being published on a preprint server. So that's basically an open website that everybody can go to. 
before they're published in the journal. So in these preprint servers, they're not peer reviewed. So they're not reviewed by other scientists, but they're out there in the public domain already. And people can already start working with the data, with the hypothesis that, that was tested in the papers. And this really speeds up the, the, the pace of science in general. And so that's something that's probably going to stay after the crisis as well, which is quite interesting to see how science has picked up a pace. Let's talk about uh, the uh, price of uh, the uh, coronavirus drug and medicine. Uh, do you think it will be when, it, when it's there very uh, expensive? Well, I don't think so, first off. So the first drug that we have seen positive results of is, is Gilead's Remdesivir. And the company has already said that they're going to donate all the product that they currently have on stack, which is about 200,000 patients worth of dose. Um, but it, it turns out that we don't know yet how much they're going to price it afterwards. Um, the company has clearly said that the price should not be a, a hindrance to access to the product. So I don't think it's going to be very high. Um, what you could see potentially is that um, during the pandemic, it's a very low price. And then as maybe coronavirus stays with us for longer, um, even after we have a vaccine, that it could become more something like a product like Tamiflu for, for influenza, so that they, they make some profit off of it. But I think in this, this um, current acute phase, um, pricing is not going to be a, a big hindrance. And so it's also not going to be an economic driver for the company's uh, PNL, unfortunately, or for investors. Um, so you do see some some disconnect there in terms of the the valuations um, and the actual economic re reality. Which influence do you see for governments uh, in the search of a medicine, but also in the search of the the price, setting the price to to a right uh, point? Um. I don't think they're going to regulate it much. I think it's really the industry that is going to self-regulate, knowing that this is a massive PR issue. And also, I think, because they want to do the right thing, because <laughs> these people are not all evil people. It's really they want to help find a solution to this crisis. So I think um, they're going to be very, very thoughtful in how they set the price for it. So in order to re really recuperate the 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 losses they encourage in making and producing the product, but not to make this a huge um, profiteering off of this crisis. Pictet uh, Asset Management has a lot of opportunities uh, on the field of health and healthcare. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So we have two products that are kind of specialized on this on this area. You have one that is quite broad, which is called Pictet Health. And here it's really, um, you have a part of it that is healthcare, around 60% of it, but 40% of the portfolio is, is even broader than just healthcare. So we look at things like preventing disease, so preserving health. Um, we look at things, how to finance healthcare better by um, increasing healthcare efficiency through, for example, digital health companies, um, so through technology. Um, so it's a bit of a broader strategy. And then we also have Picta Biotech, which is basically zooming in on the therapeutic aspect. So this is um, a more, let's say, a bit more aggressive in style because biotech is quite an aggressive field in terms of the, the volatility that you sometimes see. It's very idiosyncratic as well. So it's not linked. It's a very low correlation to the general market. 
But um, it, it can be a volatile segment. But nevertheless, this is where we see a lot of innovation and growth happening. So we have this specialized product that's called Picte Biotech that just focuses on this therapeutics aspect of it. Yeah. So there are a lot of uh, opportunities and also a lot of chances for investors. Absolutely. Oké, okay, thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. U luisterde naar een podcast van Pictet Asset Management over thematisch beleggen. Dank aan Lydia Houter, Senior Investment Manager bij Pictet Asset Management. Als u meer wilt weten over thematisch beleggen of specifiek over beleggen in het thema health of biotech, kijk dan op onze site Pictet Asset Management Nederland www.am.pictet.nl Of luister naar de tweede podcast over dit thema. Deze podcast is gepubliceerd door Pictet Asset Management. De informatie en gegevens die in deze podcast worden gepresenteerd... mogen niet worden beschouwd als een aanbod of een verzoek... om effecten of financiële instrumenten te kopen, te verkopen of erop in te schrijven. Ga voor meer informatie naar onze website am.pictet.nl